two, one, two. Testing, testing. Hello, everybody. How is everyone doing? It's been a while. I haven't released stuff in a while because I've been kind of busy and, well, it's quite complicated actually. But basically, I was looking for someone to partner with on my latest episode and no one really wanted to do it. So I just thought I'd release a news brief in the meantime. There's many, many things that's been happening, but recently I've just kind of been like tuned out of politics because it sounds a bit arrogant, but it just feels like I've seen it all already now. Like when we have stuff going on that, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, this is the you know, the new stuff that everyone's outraged about. It's kind of like, really guys, you're just seeing this? Like, wow, okay. But lately I am, um, I mean, I won't say it's new that I've been seeing this whole China Uyghur stuff, but um. I just thought I might as well do a quick news brief on it. Because again, in terms of what this podcast is about, it's, it's an historical record. So we want to see, you know, when the great con is exposed, people might want to be interested to know, you know, 200 years from now, you know, where I was on it. And I'll be able to show to my grandkids that, you know, I was in the right position. Again, no surprise. But essentially, to break it down, this whole China Uyghur stuff, stems from basically a rumor that says that china you know there's a bit in china there's a place in china called xinjiang which a lot of people can't even pronounce and it's an autonomous region which china has many of because obviously like many countries it was formed through you know conquest and wars and you know things like that convenience sometimes so they do have many regions that are autonomous or quite you know simple semi-autonomous in the sense that you know the central communist party doesn't actually have that much of a role in running it you know china is a country with <clears throat> what 1.6 1.7 billion people a party the communist party you know that actually has you know about a thousand people in its governing body couldn't possibly run that a lot of people don't realize this obviously but the this area in china it's called Xinjiang, and they have the highest majority of um, of Muslims in China live in this area. So essentially, the whole idea of it is that China, you know, is some kind of Muslim-hating people, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, atheism is kind of, you know, the state religion in a way, and they're therefore oppressed and they're trying to eradicate or genocide these Muslims. Now, of course, China's been communist, you know, since, even you know, since Mao, let's say, as a country, that's been the kind of like, you know, the, but even, even if it goes back before that, if you look at the Boxer Rebellion that happened against the British and the colonialists in the, in the 40s and against the Japanese, that was kind of, you know, a popular, you know, communist revolution of sorts. And, you know, they had Islam in China at that time. Islam has been in China you know, for over 1,600 years. I think Muhammad went to China. And so it's not a new thing, you know. They're kind of trying to picture it as some kind of clash of civilizations where, you know, because, you know, these, you know, these crazy Chinese people, they all, they all hate Muslims because, you know, Muslims are, you know, only loved in the West, which is another, you know, ridiculous statement. 
But because of this whole narrative, it's kind of like the rumor starting to spread that oh, there's a genocide going on against Muslims in Xinjiang. Now, before I go into the actual evidence that clearly contradicts this, you know, fraudulent narrative, I'll be you know remiss if I didn't mention the origin of this narrative. This narrative really started when you look at it, because again, if you, anyone can think, did were you hearing about this five years ago? I mean, come on, we love you know the Muslims so much. How come it wasn't talking about five years ago? Genocide takes what three years? You know, even the the, the, the Nazis, which everyone you know uses the you know textbook example for genocide, they were ratcheting up what they were doing against the Muslims, the Muslims, the Jews. You know, since nineteen, you know, as soon as Hitler became leader of the of the German Workers Party in nineteen thirty three, you know. The war happened in thirty nine. They already started the genocide, you know, well before that. But you know, these things take a few years. How come we're just hearing about it now? If Islam was just like new to China, you know, the way it's kind of new to America, given that America is, you know, a relatively very young country compared to China, anyway. Obviously, the early settlers and the native population, there wasn't many Muslims there, like, you know, at wager. So why are we just hearing about this now? This claim comes from, well, not the claim itself. But this strategy, I should say, it comes from a document which I always say I will link to the show notes, but I will actually try and do that, called the National Defence Strategy 2019. It's a yearly document that the United States military and their government and all their, you know, the State Department and everyone, they bring together to formulate, to talk about what are the great, you know, threats to the country moving forward and obviously when they say threats they don't mean threats as in like actual threats to security you know the biggest threats to the citizens of the united states is their own government but when they say threats they basically mean threats to capitalism and threats to their capital you know to corporations and you know because capitalism is like a virus you know once a virus infects a body it has to just keep multiplying and you know seeking new hosts and you know it's not a thing you can just stop and be like, oh, okay, I have, you know, I've infected, you know, we have a pandemic going on, I've infected, you know, five million people, now I'll stop. That's not how capitalism works. It has to keep on eating everything until, you know, there's no more and it just collapses on itself. Almost like a, like one of those stars we see. That's what supernova is. A star just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter, keeps making, you know, bigger and bigger elements in its, um, in its core and then, it makes elements so big that it starts to get used up, which is what they're doing to our planet right now, you know. They were, you know, making their wealth, making their wealth, making their wealth, but, you know, eventually, now it's at the cost of human beings, which has always been. Now our, you know, now our civilization is collapsing. Now our, our social structure, the fabric of our society is collapsing. Now our planet, where we actually live, it's not like we found another planet, now that's collapsing also. So as, you know, the United States continues to collapse and, you know, going free fall, they're looking for everyone to blame for this, you know. And so right now, they're looking at the rise of China. I don't know why they put Russia in there. Russia is like a tiny economy that's, you know, little to no threat to the United States. The only threat to the United States, Russia, is that they have nuclear weapons and, you know, they or the United States or any of the other countries that have nuclear weapons because it only takes about 100 nuclear weapons. I don't know if people know that. It only takes about 100 nukes to basically destroy, you know, our whole civilization. 
because from that you have a nuclear winter and the sun you know completely darks out and we can't grow any food and you know we all die off so it doesn't actually take that much and russia has like six thousand and you know the china you know the united states have about six thousand america you know china has about 300 so any one of them can just you know end life on the planet as we know it no more rational thing you know to do keep weapons that can destroy all of humanity but you know here we are so they said you know let's identify the threats to to capital the threats to business the threats to corporations and now china is who they've picked on because obviously china you know they i guess they say they're communists no one even knows what that means anymore but i guess you know the government has central planning power and you know the economy is growing massively according to the world bank they've lifted 800 million people out of poverty now if you think the united states loves this you're severely mistaken because they depend on that kind of poverty i mean they just they still do in china you know there's a lot of sweatshops in china so you know if you think the united states loves the fact that china's you know lifting people out of poverty and you know china's actually on a global stage they're actually a very responsible country compared to the you know the u.s anyway of course if you have a country that size is almost like a you know when you're doing business with smaller countries it's a business negotiation you're obviously going to want favorable you know favorable deals deals that you know positive for your side but if you look at someone like yanis varoufakis for example which was he was a former finance minister in for greece he talks about how when he was negotiating with the chinese they were way more fair than the americans ever were and, you know, they were always conceding, always looking to, you know, find common ground. You know, it's possible. Of course, China has a lot of people that, you know, corrupt and, you know. Capitalism, you have to understand, like I said, it's a disease. It infects people. So even if you have a country that's, like China that's communist, you still have many, many people in there where their ultimate goal is just to, you know, amass as much money as they can. Because, you know, that's really what, you know, the kind of the name of the game of our society is. It's a very warped idea because, again, money is literally meaningless. You know, it's completely worthless. It's almost like we breathe life into it and, you know, a £5 note is worth £5. Quite literally because the government says so. That's why it's called government tender or legal tender, really. And the government could produce a new £5 note today. And say, you know, the one you have in your hand that you thought was worth £5, now is just a stupid piece of paper. They do that all the time with currencies. Remember, they did it with the £1 notes before our notes were paper, now they're polymer. And if anyone has a £5 note that's paper right now, or, you know, a £10 note from, you know, the 1960s, it's not worth anything. So just like that, that's how useless the piece of paper that they're willing to destroy our planet, destroy our civilization, destroy our social fabric have people living in in utter misery for you know just to I mean, we don't know if there's life after death but you know if there if there isn't you know we all live you know 60 70 some people even you know younger than that maybe some people have you know really unlucky accidents illnesses let's just say the average life expense expectancy on earth is about 65 we all live 65 years out of the billions that our planet has existed for and some people make it their goal to amass a meaningless piece of paper that means that their fellow human beings live in utter misery. I mean, is that these are not rational people. These aren't, you know, you know, people that can be reached. These are psychopaths. 
So these are the people that decided that China is such a threat to, to the United States. For basically, for the past 20 years, the United States, their military strategy was focused on what they described as great power competition. Where now, no, it was focused on terrorism, sorry. You know, this whole fake terrorism that they invented and they financed all the time through countries like the Saudis and the Gulf states, you know. We should, we should call them the, the, the it's, it's a band, they're called the executioners. The Saudis are the ones that, you know, got a guy from, you know, from an embassy in Turkey and oven-baked him. They chopped him up and oven-baked him. So naturally, we sell them hundreds of billions in weapons. Again, if there's a psychopathic thing going on, well, I've told my friend this, if there's something psychopathic and completely despicable going on in the world, we probably support it. That's that's what we do. So basically, after you know they've wasted all their money, the United States this is spending it on you know not wasting it, basically looting their own people and giving it to corporations, defense contractors, and you know oil companies and all these who are destroying the planet and destroying our societies. They've realized that grift is over, so now they're switching. You know what, what they're gonna frighten people with a different thing. Before it was terrorism and oh my god, the Muslim next door is gonna blow you up and so we have to kidnap them and you know keep them in prison camps overseas because if we keep them in our own country it's against our own laws. So let's just keep these Muslims in Guantanamo Bay and not charge them with any, you know, trial and you know, snatch a fourteen year old, you know, Afghan child who's just trying to defend his family from these invaders, which what they are. We'll call him a terrorist or an insurgent and we'll lock him in um, Abu Ghraib and sodomize him with sticks and broomsticks and electrocute him and waterboard him and torture him. I mean, again, these are the type of people we're dealing with. So now these type of people, these same animals that I've been telling you about, they're describing to us that China is apparently, you know, doing a genocide on Muslims. Again, with no evidence, by the way. In fact, all the evidence points the other way, which I want to get to in a minute. Now, let's talk about the evidence. When you look at the evidence, since 1978, there was a bit of a culture war, if you want to call it that, in China around that time. Because after China had its communist revolution, there was a backlash against everything that made it, you know, quote-unquote, more open, if you want to call it that. And so because of that, there was actually a lot of destruction of mosques and, you know, places of worship and stuff. But after Mao died and um, Deng got elected yeah, through, the, through the Communist Party, they actually spent a lot of state money rebuilding these mosques. And you can look it up. If you go on Google and just search this up, they spent a good amount of money rebuilding a lot of because a lot of these mosques you have to understand again a lot of these mosques are very very old and these mosques were equipped with you know amenities they were rebuilt re renovated all on the state's dime by the way and this started in 19 you know in the 1980s so again that looks up why would you you know you hate you know these people so much you want to do a cultural genocide you give them money to rebuild their place of worship. That doesn't make any sense. And then we also have 
looking at the actual Uyghur population, you know, the ethnic group called the Uyghurs, their population has gone up by over 40% since 1980. I mean, if this is a genocide, you know, people accuse China of a lot of things. No one ever accused them of being incompetent, you know, that's a fact. If this is a genocide, this is a, you know, these people are not very good at genocide. And how can, you know, you be so bad at genocide that the people are somehow increased their population by 40%? That makes no sense. What kind of genocide is that? And then you look at the fact that also this area, which apparently supposedly the genocide or the genocide is happening, called Xinjiang, it has more Muslims per capita. It has more mosques per capita, sorry, than the United States. Again, if you're going about trying to do a genocide, of course all these mosques weren't just built in like the 50s or something. A lot of them were built, you know, much more recently. So what kind of genocide is it if... You know, this place has more mosques per capita of Muslims, that is, than the United States. This is a very confusing genocide again. This doesn't sound like to me like you're trying to, oh, you're trying to get rid of the whole, you know, the whole, you know, Muslim population and all that kind of stuff. It sounds like the opposite. And then you have a situation where some of the so-called evidence that a lot of people have is when people just tweet random videos of, you know, oriental-looking Asians doing something bad or something terrible going on and then just put a caption on it, which I don't want to sound like an old person and to cry, oh my God, this is the walls of social media making people be able to manipulate stuff. I do think social media is a very good, you know, source of information and knowledge for whatever, you know. Sometimes it can be used for good, sometimes it can be used, you know, deceptively like this is. But you have some accounts that are notorious for it. Despite, you know, all this stuff about Twitter, fake news and stuff. For example, there's an account, there's a guy called Arslan Hidayat. He claims to be an Australian Uyghur human rights activist. <laughs> okay. From Sydney. Yeah, okay. And he's always posting the most deceptive videos. In fact, some, last time he posted a video of people in the BDSM you know, sex thing as evidence of of, you know, Chinese, you know, oppression of the Uyghurs, which is just laughable because, you know, every time you post a video, there's always a comment in the in the in the thing in the in the thread just completely debunking everything he's saying because he sounds completely ridiculous. You've had the UN, the World Bank the Council of, of Muslims, I think they're called, they've all said, this is all nonsense. China did actually have a serious extremism problem because this area is located in the ter territory called, well, some people want to call it East Turkestan. And a lot of people, a lot of the separatists in this region that want to separate from China and make their own country, a lot of them have been seen fighting in Syria with ISIS and Al-Qaeda. So China had a spate of terrorist attacks around that time. And I mean, I guess if you want to give them credit, unlike the West, you know, what we did was just, you know, throw more bombs and more repression around it. They actually had these areas where what these people call re-education camps, which somehow is now a bad thing, even among people on the left that have been calling for, 
you know, criminal justice reform and these kind of things. Suddenly, you know, having a place where instead of locking people up indefinitely, you just keep them there and try to, you know, de-radicalize them. You know, we have de-radicalization in the, in the UK, in the US. No one calls that some kind of, you know, Nazi-style concentration camp. Most people on the left, most reasonable people anyway, on the left or on the right would agree that if people have, you know, been, you know, denied their freedom because they believe in a certain ideology that's violent and very, you know, divisive, you know, and or, you know, aggressive or promotes violence against other people. Why do you have to lock them up for, you know, a random, under, you know, just completely unrelated amount of time like they would do in the US? The US has locked people up for sending money to their relatives in countries that, you know, are a hotbed for terrorism. No evidence just because they sent money. Definitely, today they said that money was going to be used for terrorism purposes, lock them up for 20 years. Or they would just entrap the Muslims instead. They'll buy them weapons, they'll buy them phones. They will tell them all the radical stuff, then they will arrest them for being radicals. So what's wrong with, you know, and again, if there are, which of course I'm sure they are, you know, the Chinese are not perfect human beings, human rights abuses in these areas, these kind of stupid rhetoric and lies is not going to help us solve it. You know, accusing China on the, on the, on account that they're not being sufficiently tough on Muslims and they didn't just lock them up the way we would do. That is not a way, you know, to achieve progress. Which, again, a lot of the people that believe in this on the liberal left, they, they do mean well, you know. They don't want to seem like hypocrites for, you know, supporting Chinese oppression and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, they're just wrong. And there was a story in Reuters where China invited the UN to come and see for itself what's going on in Xinjiang. And what did the US do? The US tried to pressure the UN officials not to go. Because again, they don't want them to find anything that will be counter to their narrative. These are the type of fraudulent bastards we have running our governments. They invited European diplomats. And the Europeans, you know, they broadly basically said, you know, what China's actually doing is good. You know, there's no evidence of no systematic wide-scale oppression, which, interestingly, it's always like, oh, you know, the oppression is, you know, they, they, always, they always give strange numbers about how many people are actually imprisoned. Oh, one day is three million, one day is five million, one day is one million. And then when you try to find out who the source of the numbers are, you find groups like the World Uyghur Congress that are funded by the National Endowment for Democracy, which, again, that's a very euphemistically named <laughs> institution. When you have institutions funded by, you know, the Western governments that, you know, sound like that, they actually normally mean the opposite, which which may probably, probably be called something like the National Endowment for Dictatorships or Repression or something, because they always do the exact, you know, the opposite of what they claim. So, for example, you have another group called the foundation for the defense of democracies but what that group was actually founded initially for was to support israel which that's not a democracy by you know any stretch of the imagination so again this is what they do 
And then we have to move on to a guy called Adrian Zenz, who really is the the um the go to guy on China in the Western media, even in some lefty outlets, very sadly and depressingly. First of all, this guy doesn't even speak Chinese. I mean, imagine if I said I am the premier, you know, expert on the United States and don't even speak English. How does that make any sense? I don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> like, I'm, so I'm just relying on someone else telling me all the time. It doesn't sound very expert-like to me. That's your basics. You can't even speak Chinese. So that means, you know, a random, you know, Chinese student, you know, in, you know, university somewhere. I'd learn, like, you know, maybe 20% proficiency. She probably knows more about China than he does because she can read actual Chinese sources and understand what they're saying. A lot of the time what you have as well in terms of how duplicitous these people are is when they, you know, quote something, a Chinese source to prove their point, they'll cleverly just edit it in a way that, you know, the translation doesn't work out. And I think everyone that speaks a second language knows this, that sometimes... You just can't translate stuff in the same way from your native... I say native language. I'm from Nigeria, but I colonised. Our native language is English, but, you know, I speak Yoruba also. You can't just translate some things from Yoruba to English just like that on its face because it just wouldn't make any sense. But that's what they do sometimes to try and, you know, add a bit of spice to it and make it seem, you know, very interesting. So back to this guy, Adrian Zenz. He works at a place called Victims of Communism, which... <laughs> I mean that's just everyone knows you know even the even a child can tell you that's definitely funded by some very rich capitalists who have no interest in people actually getting the money the public money that's owed to them that they deserve and so they make up bogus numbers about you know so-called communist countries you know even the countries that are actually communist but sometimes they just call countries communist when they're not really like I've been having a debate with my friend over the past, you know, few months where he's new to politics, so I understand, you know, he's a bit wet behind the air. He doesn't really know exactly much of what he's talking about, but he would tell me that, oh my God, socialism is so bad. Look at Venezuela and how horrible it is. And I'll ask him, what what was socialism to you? He would say to me, socialism when government controls everything. Then I'll say to him, France has a bigger public sector compared to private sector than Venezuela does. How come they're not collapsing due to socialism? So do we. Many of our countries, the United States, the West, you know, the Jap- Japan, France, UK. Government, you know, debt as a share of GDP is well over 100%. So how come, you know, this is not the great communism which we should be alarmed about? You love all the public services though. So again, these people don't know what they're talking about. So this guy works at this place called Victims of Communism where they do all sorts of different stuff like put holocaust victims in their global toll of victims of communism they even added coronavirus deaths to their victims of communism because apparently it started in china so therefore china was covering it up even though china has three thousand deaths and the united states which is meant to be you know the capitalist heaven we should all want they're up to what 170 000 deaths is that going is that going to go on their victims of capitalism you know tally i doubt it Capitalism, of course, is the natural default good position, and you know everything else that follows on from that is you know horrific. So again, you have people like this. There is a thread on Twitter that you know anyone that's listened to this and wants to know more about this, I have it in my bookmarks. I can actually send it to you. So this guy made a um, he published a report, 
and he you know in the report he said oh, by 2019 again you can follow this guy adrian zenz on twitter you know adrian as you spelled adrian and zenz z-e-n-z z-e-z-e-n-z so he said by 2019 xinjiang planned to subject greater than 80 percent of women to childbearing age to intrusive birth prevention surgeries in 2018 80 percent of new iud's were fitted in xinjiang while the region made up only 1.8 percent of national population however when you actually look at the numbers he actually just got the maths wrong like the maths was just completely wrong the number of the percentage of IUDs fitted in Xinjiang was actually 8.7%. Which, you know, I mean, come on. How can you make that kind of mistake? Like, that's just unexcusable. This is, this is meant to be an expert. This guy's getting paid, presumably, hundreds of thousands of pounds to inform the Western audience about, you know, the big bad Chinese Communist Party. And he can't do some basic percentages. How, how do you take that seriously? Yeah, these are the type of things I just think people should be aware of when you're parroting these foolish claims. Again, a lot of people are, you know, well-intentioned. But again, I've seen situations where I've told people about this a few times, like, look, look this gets completely bogus. But I guess, you know, the CIA, again, they're very good at their job. You've got to give them credit for that. They pick something that, you know, is quite, you know, everyone wants to believe and everyone wants to, you know, feel sorry for the Muslims. Interestingly, you know, they're right-wing people. I guess they're right-wing people might, might say something like, that's what we should be doing to Muslims, you know, if that's true. And you have people on the left, that like, that's barbaric. How can we be doing that? Oh, my God, China's, you know, the new Nazi regime or something. I don't know what they're saying. So it's really a very confusing situation going on where a lot of people that mean well, they'll have a situation where they're on the same side as Trump. I mean, if you believe in a position... I guess sometimes, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. But if Trump, Trump, the guy that was calling for a Muslim ban, if his government is now telling you that there's some great danger to Muslims somewhere else and, you know, they're going to sanction this country and tell them off because of it. I mean, come on, be serious. That's really got to make you start shaking your head. That Okay, am I being just completely conned here? Because how can it make any sense that Trump is the one telling me this. Trump is a fraud and a liar. And Trump doesn't believe in any of that nonsense. Trump hates Muslims. So why would Trump be telling me that you have to defend Muslims from the big bad communist party? That makes no sense. So again, this is another thing. You have situations as well where all the... This guy is actually a far-right evangelical that believes that he was sent by God to destroy the Communist Party. Again, this is just a completely confusing situation. Just ridiculous guy. Just, you know, the whole thing is just a joke. Like, the whole thing is just ridiculous. A lot of these, you know, sources as well, Radio Free Asia, they literally, when I say literally, I don't say the word literally, like, Figuratively, are like some people that misuse that word, much to my chagrin, by the way. They're literally funded by the CIA. You can go on their website and read their about page, and it says something along the lines of Radio Free Asia or Radio Free Liberty was founded to advance the broad foreign policy goals of the United States. That's literally said right there. So, how can you take any of these seriously? I don't, I don't understand.
Anyway, anyway, I think I've said enough. If anyone doesn't believe, doesn't understand, you know, that they're being conned right now, then I guess in a way they kind of deserve to be conned because this is clearly a joke and a lie and a ruse, a a fraud, a deception. And if you can't see this, then I'm very sorry. So I'm going to leave it there. I thought it was quite important just to get some some content out. Why not? It sounds, you know, it's fun. Educate people, talk about some other stuff, you know. And um, on that note, I'll leave it there. I will speak to you when I speak to you. I hope to get that podcast out on Civilizations out very, very soon because it's something that I'm very interested in. But again, I think it's more fun when someone else is, you know, going back and forth with me, not just when I'm just talking to myself. So... I'll leave it there and I'll speak to you guys very soon.